This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Alina Vandenberg, co-founder and co-CEO of Chili Piper, shares how she drives predictable growth by using a framework she calls predictable orchestration. The idea that go-to-market is not just one motion from one team focusing on one stage of the funnel, but rather orchestrating all motions like paid, outbound, and field events at all touch points for all personas involved in the buying committee. I hope you enjoy this episode. Alina, thank you so much for being willing to come on Metrics and Chill. This is an honor for me. Uh, We interviewed Tara, actually, from your team um, on the growth of the newsletter, but yeah, I feel like Chili Piper is everywhere at this point. If listeners don't know, uh, yeah, I guess for the small percentage of listeners that might not know what Chili Piper is or does, why don't you give like the 30 second pitch of it? What we're really known for is for something that we embed in forms for marketers so that when somebody comes in and they request to talk to sales, instead of getting a thank you, somebody will contact you soon page, which basically leaves you with, I don't know, maybe... 40% of your hand raisers or 50% of your hand raisers actually ending up to talk to sales because they ghost on you. We look at the information that's being filled out by the prospect. We have a JavaScript in there. It's pretty easy to set up so that you see who is qualified, who should actually be talking to sales. And based on all sorts of data points like their region or their size or the industry, they get to talk to the right person. And uh, that completely uh, changes the games of inbound with double uh, conversion rates from hand raisers to sales qualified demos. And we have 45,000 customers using Chili Piper um, doubling the conversion rates. That's the product that we're most well known for, but we have a lot of customer conversion um, tools that get into the toolbox of a marketer and the sales ops person. Awesome. So for listeners, we're going to be talking about driving predictable growth uh, through a concept um, that you call predictable orchestration. Can you give a summary of what you mean by this idea? Like I know you mentioned, you put in the notes when when you booked, um, go to market strategy is not one team. It's not one marketing program. It's not one movement. It involves uh, being involved in impacting performance at predictable growth, growth is driven by impacting all the stages of this funnel. Um, can you unpack this idea a little bit more? I will have to uh, put a disclaimer on it. Um, when I started Chili Piper, I come, I came from an engineering background, and I was, I did the master in computer science. I'm a builder of products. I'm an engineer at heart. So, for me, marketing was very new. Um, at the beginning of our company. And sometimes when you have the, what you don't know, you don't know, you don't know that there's a capture demand and demand uh, (laughs) create and and so forth. Um, What I was observing was that the most important marketer that I could ever think of, there were two super important marketers in my team. One was that first customer. If that first customer was super happy, then I knew that uh, the word of mouth is going to work out. And the second uh, marketer for me was my employee because they were the ones who were interacting with the customers. And ever since we started Chili Piper, I was obsessed with this concept of how can I scale that? How can I have every customer have an amazing experience that they can talk about with, with others? And also my employees can have 
the same excitement about the brand that I do, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is not easy as, as the company uh, grows. And I was um, seeing that there were multiple uh, personas that were uh, being presented with Chili Piper. And I was seeing that there were multiple stages at which they would be interested or not in our product. Uh, and obviously there was a specific type of account that we were also targeting that would be more likely to um, want to look at Chili Piper versus not. So very early on, we started putting a lot of work into brand and to making that, making sure that our brand gets, um, people become aware of our name, become aware of our, uh, all the things that were important for us. Even more importantly, that the right personas would see it. So we started thinking about, okay, once they become accustomed to the name, how can we make sure that they see us from multiple perspective over a per period of time from multiple sources so that they become curious of what problems we can solve for them and then um, get, into, uh, get into our funnel. Um, our cycle is quite complex because we have really uh, about, I don't know, seven or so personas that we target within an account for that purchase. And we also have multiple products, about five of them. So the complexities of it at scale, they become a little bit unruly. <laughs> and uh, I started looking at how can I start automating these touch points so that um, the advertising campaigns, the field campaigns, the um, community campaigns, the ecosystem and the partner, all of them can act in sync. Our SDRs can act in sync and, and go to the accounts when they're properly nurtured and they've probably gone through a journey of, of understanding what Chili Piper is about. Um, most recently, we even have as a persona, the CFO. I think everybody now has the CFO as the persona. So yeah. it becomes more and more uh, interesting to do this orchestration at scale. So this is awesome. Is this, um, I guess my first question is, where does this originate, at least for your team? Is this done on like the product marketing end of our, like, you know, typically I know when you're really early, you've got a bunch of different profiles or personas coming to check out your product. And over time, the idea, right, is that you weed out ones, like maybe certain company sizes or revenue amounts or whatever it may be, aren't a good fit. Um, and then from there, you can start to maybe, you know, maybe some companies start to trickle that up funnel a little bit and they adjust their messaging and they adjust their targeting. And then maybe, you know, a year or two later, product starts to build features that are more specific for those audiences. Is that kind of how it started for you? Or um, like what you're painting to me is this really cohesive picture of making sure that the, the customer experience or the prospects experience from the first time they witness your brand, whether it's a customer who loves you talking about you to an employee talking to a sales call to attending an event all the way to like closing with you and retaining or upgrading is like one unanimous experience. The messaging is the same. You're delivering on the promise down here that you maybe made up at the top. And it just feels like that's a really overwhelming thing to pull off. So like how, where does that start for you? Where, where do like the core elements reside? Um, we have been fortunate enough that we have a large customer base and it really starts with the segmentation of that customer base, looking at, okay, who are 
the customers that are most likely to succeed uh, with Chili Piper long term, who are the ones that have the highest LTV, basically. And what are the cohorts that are going to uh, create that kind of stickiness? Because obviously the best customers are the ones that you want at the top of the funnel as well. The same characteristics at the top of the funnel as well. We have a large TAM, but it's a lot easier if you can um, go after the ones that are uh, that are creating the successful stories and the successful customer stories. Um, we're also looking at within those customers that are high LTV, the who are the contract signers and versus who are the uh, product users? Because in our case, they're very different, um, very different people. And how can we make sure that there's value even for those that are not using the product and they understand what's going on with their um, installation of Chili Piper so that they can um, understand that value and kind of co co um, resonate with it. Once those segments are understood and once the value is understood for all the personas within that segment, and again, it's a bit more complicated because we have different products and we have so many personas, but we do have um, the all of these things mapped. Um, and then we go to our data at the top of the funnel and see how we can start A-B testing all our hypotheses and we constantly adjust things. So I'll give you some examples. One of our uh, most successful segment is fast-growing SaaS companies that have more than 50 or so employees that have a sales ops uh, already recruited in their team. And they are either on Salesforce or on HubSpot. Those are like the technographics and the characteristics of the team. We use a tool that's called GoodFit. And GoodFit gives us uh, cohorts of companies that, uh, that match these criterias. Now, within these criterias, each account um, has specific things that are going to make them more likely to convert. So some examples would be... Um, I give some example that the listeners might be familiar with Clearbit. Uh, so Clearbit is a data enrichment tool. If they already use Clearbit, then they're a lot more likely to use Chili Piper as well. And then we say we uh, have the information that uh, they're using Clearbit. We use all sorts of tools and say you're already using Clearbit on your website. It doesn't make sense for you not to get your hand raisers to book a meeting right away because you already uh, uh, have a lot of information on who's qualified and who's not. Um, but we do that across a thousand integration points. It's not only Clearbit. We use a lot of partners and we have a lot of integrations that could be a good representative of that. And we don't start directly with, hey, you're using Clearbit, use Chili Piper because they may not resonate immediately. So they go into a nurture um, a campaign. They might be either invited to an event that we have online. They might be seeing some... Um, uh, ideas on how they can optimize their implementations of things that they already have. So things that are helpful that might not talk about our product yet. Then after a period passes six weeks, then we tell them, hey, you're already using that. Why don't you try this other thing? And we do that with an advertising campaign. We don't go out directly with an outbound and having our SDRs directly ask for a meeting because they're not going to be ready. Um, and then only after six weeks pass, then an SDR might reach out if they haven't already uh, uh, converted within the cycle. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like, 
the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. And this yeah. happens across multiple products and across multiple industries and across multiple personas, which is like, um, yeah, mind who, who manages that? Like, I'm I'm seeing like a like the like that conspiracy theory, like like threads and web and like map and everything connecting together. Who who manages like when you zoom out and see how all this fits together at the highest level? That's why I said at the beginning that uh, in, in my notes to you that I don't think that marketing is a marketing sport. I think it's a GTM sport in like getting prospects to fully um, to orchestrate the, the full motions in the funnel. It takes a village. Um, so we have even our support team gets involved in these kind of things to help us kind of create the cohorts for our customers. Our, our support team is amazing. Um, and then our data team is helping us kind of orchestrate these things together with our sales ops. Um, we're all marketing ops because we kind of hire people that are very um, uh, technical savvy. So we all can kind of set up tools and we all understand how to configure HubSpot or configure um, um, HighSpot or HighTouch or any of these tools. Um, so it's 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 really uh, like everybody's holding hands and, and we uh, tweak things together to make it work. Um, and the reason why it takes so many things is because it constantly gets tweaked and we constantly test things because we might find that a specific integration works a little bit better with a different persona. We've, we don't target at all um, product teams. We only target revenue personas, but we've recently found that the product teams are also sensitive to customer conversion in a PLG motion, for instance. So we're doubling down on that. And uh, we wouldn't have noticed that until, unless somebody would have put that experiment out uh, just to see how, <laughs> how, how how things might improve in our, in our OKRs. We have uh, pipeline OKRs and we tweak on them. Okay. For the messaging, so like let's take one of like the one of the cohorts you just said, which is high-growing SaaS companies. So you're so you're look when you look at all these cohorts, you're pulling cohorts that are high LTV. Um, you're looking at who the contract signers are, who the supporting team members are, and then let's say you you have a cohort like fast-growing SaaS companies, and you are you is the messaging that they're receiving kind of outside your website, maybe like really top of funnel or like in a brand awareness campaign. Does it differ cohort by cohort or are you kind of, is the messaging more aligned around solving common pains that they kind of all feel and the targeting gets more specific as they go down? Like, what does that look like? Um, 
so on some personas we have some very specific messages depending on the campaign so for instance if it's a sales ops um if it's a sales op person that already implemented Clearbit, then the type of things that are seeing that are very specific to their Clearbit uh, implementation. Um, if it's a demand gen persona, then it gets a lot more um, broader in the way we uh, nurture them because we have, for instance, we have a newsletter, we have a podcast, and those are the entry points, and they're they're in a different um, they're in a different uh, part of the funnel. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. I think that you, the question is that if the if we do it by industry specific, the messaging we haven't got that advanced yet, but we are playing with uh, um, putting some things in place with AI to craft those uh, those languages that to, to be a little bit different. But I'm not super happy with yet, and that's the reason why I'm not very precise on that answer. Okay, no, that's fine. Um, mm. Yeah, is this the other thing I was curious about was what role does customer feedback play in this and like in in the work that you're doing across the funnel? So like if you're getting feedback from customer service, if you're getting feedback from customers like elsewhere in the journey, is that changing how you're thinking about this? Like is that impacting this movement in any way? In our messaging, no, it we actually don't trust the like the um, feedback of one. We tr trust the data. <laughs> okay. Um, it's um, a lot easier to trust the data if you have enough and then do A/B tests. Um, before launching new products, yes, then for sure, hundred percent, we have conversations with our customers to make sure that their initial launch makes sense, it resonates, but that happens less frequent. Um. I was also curious your take on this. Like, what is it, what you're trying to do? Um, so I, for a context, I'll kind of set the stage. So I, I had, I interviewed a, a few weeks ago, Prashant Call, who um, is leading Helmer. And he painted a picture of his pitch was that demand gen, in this case, specifically, not just, you know, marketing generally, but the demand gen should focus a lot like a product manager um, in that they should, and sort of like, I guess how some people see RevOps in that marketing, like demand gen should have a say, not just over the messaging and, and what they're, the way that they're targeting, the way that they're reaching people at top of funnel outside the website, but making sure that that's a consistent, that, that the promise they're getting delivered at the top is what's being fulfilled at the end. And that the touch points are really, you know, uniform all the way down, um, I'm curious, like this sounds similar to me and it feels like there's a lot of logic in this. When companies don't do this, when they see marketing as an isolated thing, are there some, what do you think is the problem with this? Like for listeners that are like, well, why do I need to take care to implement across the entire life cycle? Why can't marketing just focus on this stage and sales focus on this stage and then CS focus on this stage? What do you think goes wrong about that, that, that this uh, approach solves? If... Um... One goes and borrows some tactics from uh, B2C and does the mystery shopper um, on their own website to see what it's like to buy their product. Um, the problems become evident really fast. We get so focused on certain things in our own silos in marketing versus in sales versus in customer success that we lose track of the big picture. And 
if you just pause and try to buy your service and try to go through the motions of it and create a fake email address and create a fake uh, prospect and you start seeing all the odd things that might happen. So for instance, you might have a chat bot on your website and you see that you get stuck in it for hours and nobody responds back. Or if you start getting some conflicting emails, one that says from marketing that uh, you have to prepare that and then the sales rep sends you a completely different survey before the call. Um, or if the uh, contact sales button says, uh, see a demo and you're what you're actually getting is a discovery call you start seeing a lot of things that are going to create friction. And any point that creates friction would take that prospect to a different company that provides a better experience. And it's a shame because as a marketer, you lose, you consume, you, you start spending all these uh, campaigns and, and money on campaigns, but then you don't focus on the optimization of the full funnel and it's, it's sad. Yeah, I was thinking I was um, speaking with Asia Rangio about churn, which is like the episode that will now for listeners, it'll be prior to this by a couple. Um, and she had a really good take related to this where she was saying at the end of the day, like we were talking about reducing churn and that at the end of the day, all churn is a is that, you know, it's a value proposition problem that they came seeking something. And she listed out a few different types that like, either they, there was perceived value. They thought they would get that they didn't, or that there was value that you promised that your product doesn't deliver. And it seems similar to that here. Like marketing can do all this work to try and reach the right people and craft a compelling message. But then if maybe the website uh, doesn't answer the questions or the objections that they have when they want to explore, or maybe the booking process to talk to sales is really complicated, or maybe, you know, they use Chili Piper and booking with sales is easy, but the AE, but like most of the time is spent uh, talking about the company and not about the the problems that the, that the user cares about, right? Or CS doesn't care to, um, you know, maybe the onboarding experience isn't good or the right stakeholders aren't informed of the value of the product or why they're being used. So it feels like um, that's why I think this is this is such a, a, a an important concept because it feels like customers don't experience like marketing at Chili Piper. They just know Chili Piper, like Chili Piper is one entity to them. And if you're failing in any of these areas, it feels like it just reflects poorly on you as a company. Hey, precisely, uh, precisely how it works. That's why I, I keep back, get back to my message that uh, marketers are both my customers and my employees across the board. And if we don't uh, take that at heart and optimize uh, customer journeys to have these beautiful moments throughout, then then it's a, it's a wasted effort. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned churn because most marketing teams don't focus on that. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's an important part of marketing as well. And uh, the reason why I say that is because there's this perception that if the product is good, then everything else follows. And there's a lot of truth to that. 80% the product has to be good. Um, but there are all these other things that matter as well. Um the QBR that you might have with an account manager or the process to renew or the process to upsell or the process to cross-sell. Those are sales uh, in, uh, sales transaction happening again. And if the value is not clear at that moment, then the probability 
to lose a customer to a competitor increases. So the journey doesn't end when the customer, the prospect buys. Um, it's when a happy customer starts that can create word of mouth for other customers. So caring for that customer, especially in this economy, everybody's um, paying a lot more attention to their customers, but it's a it's such a critical thing to marketing that uh, I'm 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 a little bit uh, disappointed that not more founders pay attention to uh, marketing within customer base and optimizing that because it's a uh, it's an important lever. Well, it seems like too like the more I thought about it and got to talk with people like Asia about it, the the more it seems like marketing would have to be involved at some point, the same way like product would be, you know, like so because the way that she laid it out, it, it made a lot of sense that if you, if, if it's a misalignment on what they, if you find that maybe for even numbers, let's say 80% of uh, users who churn are articulating that they, you find out that it's for, they perceived certain value that the product just didn't deliver and you never intend to deliver to me, like how can then marketing not be involved because they're clearly promising something up front. They might not be, maybe they're promising it on the website. Maybe they're promising mm-hmm. it on ad channels or, you know, maybe, maybe brand awareness channels like the podcast or the newsletter are giving the impression, you know, through content that it can do something that it can't do. Um, the same, but the same way that, you know, maybe all of that's aligned and then the product just sucks and is really, you know, buggy and then engineering like needs to do some work on the other end. So it feels like, it feels like if engineering or product needs to be involved or CS needs to be involved because people don't understand how it works and they're not getting help quick enough or they're having trouble onboarding, it feels like marketing is just as much a part of that with, you know, promising something that the product might not deliver, or maybe they're targeting the wrong people. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like it would, marketing would need to be involved with that in order to be effective. Mm, well, if your product sucks, you lost as a marketer anyway. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, true. You do amazing things, but the, the leaky bucket is going to be there. Um, it's um, it, it's uh, something that I can imagine that uh, it's problematic for, for many marketers. In our case, we have the value proposition very clear, articulated in our website, the doubling of conversion rates for inbound. And that's something that we've been focused on. And it's not a problem in, in, in our case, but I can see that can be an issue for other marketers. Yeah. What my last question on this, before we get to some fun, like fast answer, uh, lightning round questions. Um, what has been the biggest challenge as you've tried to put this view together? I know you don't have it completely set up as you'd like it. You're working on the marketing ops side of it to get a little bit more data around it, but you're obviously a lot further on it than a lot of other companies. So for listeners that are thinking, okay, yeah, we need to think about, uh, we need to think about this as a team sport revenue as a team sport, you know, marketing needs to impact and have say into more of these areas. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in, in making a switch to viewing it this way? Um, I can imagine that for many companies, the hardest part is the tooling of it, finding the right data and finding the right tool set. For some reason that doesn't, um, in, in my case, I don't see that as the biggest uh, obstacle to things, but maybe because I'm just an engineer and I just see tools as uh, the easiest part of the process. Um, I'm finding that the hardest part is the alignment between the teams because they have to have incentives that are given from the top to work with one another to make things work. 
Um, so basically the data team has and the sales ops team have to have that in their OKRs built in to make those uh, orchestration work. And similarly, the uh, for instance, the, if you have a, a specific uh, pipeline cross-sell for the account management team, making sure that uh, the marketing team can aid on that and what percentage they can create uh, motions that are going to contribute to it. It's I'm finding that the biggest challenge is actually aligning the uh, objectives for the quarter within the teams to incentivize them to work in sync. Um, and that's the part where it's a constant work in progress because you there are always unexpected things, even if you set up, okay, this is a pipeline goal. This is how, these are the motions that we want to put in place. We want to put the ads and we want to put the field events, et cetera. Um, you always have something that comes midway through the quarter that you didn't expect. And how do you deal with that? Yeah. Okay. This has been awesome. Time to move on to some lightning round questions. This is however you want to answer it. Whatever comes to mind, they're keeping them short form. This is a new segment that we've added in. So going to see how listeners like it, but um, all right. Three questions for you. Um, The first question, what are three metrics you track closely and how often do you track them? Or if you want to have fun with this question, you can answer it as what are your three desert island metrics? You only can measure three. I don't know if I go to the desert island. I am uh, <laughs> obsessed with work beaches, not uh, in the, the, the top of my head right now. Um, on the business front, we look at uh, something that I call QHMs, Qualified Held Meetings. And I look at all my uh, landing pages to have uh, 1% conversion, our goal is to have 1% conversion rate to a hand raiser, so a booking request, a, a, a meeting has been requested. Then I look at the conversion rates from booking request to, or a hand raiser to that uh, QHM, the qualified held meeting. Based on that, I know that um, I have some par- pipeline targets and I um, look if the pipe the, there is a big delta between QHMs and pipeline because we divide that by uh, ACV. And I constantly look at conversion rates from pipeline to closed one to see if there are any patterns that are disrupting my uh, uh, forecast for the quarters. Right now, for instance, um, I see my, um, because of all these things that we've put in place for orchestration, I see my conversion uh, rates from um a qualified held meeting to uh, closed one is increasing. So I have a 35% close rate on that, which is like, woo, I'm yeah. like praying that it will stay up like that. Uh, but I watch it closely because I know that that's going to, if it grows too low or if it imp- improves, then I can know I can play with other levers. Um, so I, I look at this, uh, these numbers across to see if any patterns are changing or uh, my, my machine um, continues to be predictable. Awesome. Love it. Uh, okay. Finish the sentence. Data is critical. Number three, what would be last one, your number one tip for B2B leaders trying to drive predictable performance? I think that my biggest lesson that I've learned so far through um, the years is that you cannot bet on one channel to, or even two channels, or even three channels to grow predictably, you really have to have multiple sources of, um, multiple sources of pipeline, um, because you never quite know 
when something when a child gets hit by any kind of change and um, that, that's uh, when we started to diversify our number of channels and the places where revenue comes that's where i was able to sleep better at night <laughs> mm. don't put all your just eggs no in SEO, no just seo just advertising just field events just social media you you can't just rely on one channel when you have one or two that are working well for you, are you a fan um, of starting to develop the next and kind of always have one that you're building? And, or like, is there a number that you feel like, yeah, once you have two or three, you're good for a while and focus on scaling those? The problem with uh, us entrepreneurs is that uh, we always see all the shiny new objects. Um, so I always uh, keep an eye on all the shiny new objects. And I'm, for instance, right now I'm testing threads. Um, obviously I'm playing a lot with uh, all the uh, AI LLMs and all the tools. Um, I became cognizant that it's both mm, an asset, but also something that can hold back because if you get distracted by too many things, then you can't, you become the master of all and the master of none. Uh, that's why whenever I test a new channel, I do it lightly. I don't spend all my um, time on it. Only if I see that there's promise, then I can know that I can bring on someone on board that can take over that channel and, and manage it. And when, so just following this thread, are you looking at, at like early leading indicators then like, you know, impressions on threads, for example, or engagement rate on threads. And you feel like if you see some promise, um, or are you waiting till you see a little bit more like, okay, we've seen some bookings from threads now. Some people that have raised their hands said they've come from this. What would kind of dictate success? I'm sure it depends channel to channel, but what would give you enough? What are some things you look for to give you faith to hire someone to take that over? I would know that Threads is successful if I see someone uh, self-attributing uh, on my self-attribution channel saying, I saw you on Threads. And I say, oh, there's promise there. Let me amplify a bit and see if I get more of those signals. Alina, this has been- I post, I post silly things on Threads. Nobody will come uh, in our pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's only, right three now... days. it's only three days when I'm recording. So I don't know. I'm being silly. So I don't know. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. This has been really fun, uh, a fun chat. It was awesome to get to, to talk with you. Um, obviously, for listeners, if you want to, uh, I'm going to try to remember your tagline perfectly. Double double inbound conversions. Is that right? Double inbound conversions. Go to chilipiper.com. And then LinkedIn. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else they should follow you? I just I focus on LinkedIn. I play on other channels, but mostly for fun, not for okay. uh, serious Go on threads and finally on threads and then go book on Shelly Piper. So she doubles down on that channel. All right. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. I had a lot of fun. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.